I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race and we are on the eve of the first AFLW Indigenous round. So, Woman Jenka, everyone, welcome to the Outer Sanctum. But before we rip the wrapping off this brand new round, we need to rejoice in the beauty that was round four. Brie Davey from Collingwood's having the greatest season. Has she been filling up her water bottle from the Fountain of Youth? We'll find out very soon. We're also going to catch up with the extraordinary Chris. Crystal Petrovsky from the D's in an unmissable sit-down chat with our own Shelley Ware. Should we be calling this the Shelley Ware round? Oh, my goodness. People have been asking us on Twitter. I can't just play kick-to-kick by myself, so I'm, of course, joined by my football-loving sanctum sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Bouncing the ball along the boundary, it's Lucy Race. <laughs> oh, I like that. It's Shelley. Shelley Ware. <laughs> the Shelley Ware. You just need to be Shelley. <laughs> and running into an open goal and missing it is Kate <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. There were so many highlights from uh, from the last round of footy and it feels weird because we are recording this later in the week. And so, you know, this round has been sitting with us. We already know that overnight there was an appeal to see if Maddie Presbarkas would be able to overturn her one-match ban. That has not happened. So clearly the system's rigged. Clearly. That that were my thoughts immediately, immediately. Ah, we want a safe game. But, gee, I'm going to miss seeing Maddie play in the Indigenous round. I just feel like I could lie under the desk and cry. It feels so unfair. Um, But let's talk about what some of our um, our favourite highlights were from the round. I'm going to come to you first, Katie, because Erin Phillips had an absolute cracker for Adelaide. Erin Phillips. I mean, she was absolutely amazing. I should say the Adelaide-Brisbane game itself was fantastic. And I had said last week that I was really keen to see that game, to see how Brisbane went, because they were sitting atop the ladder with a huge percentage, but they'd played three of the bottom four teams. And I think they showed us last week that they are a contender. They're playing well. But really, that game was all about Erin Phillips for me. She kicked four goals, absolutely stole the show. She will turn 36 this year, and she just continues to dominate the competition. Um, Supremely athletic. She just seems like a cut above the rest uh, for mine and often gets into the right spot in the context. She played forward. She played mid. She dominated both. And she's now the all-time leading goal kicker in the AFLW having kicked 36 goals across five seasons, at least two of which, don't forget, she was severely hampered by injury. So um, 
just wonderful to see her play. It's so interesting. Well. It's interesting, Kate, that you um, bring up Erin Phillips because she is one of the older uh, players in the competition, and we've heard so much talk about how the youngsters are setting this season on fire. So I actually think what happened was there's so much talk about these the new breed that the OG thirty plus twenty five mm. plus players went hold my Zimmer frame and they just went out and had like played out of their skin. So Lucy, you always manage um, where you, where people sit in your age bracket. Like if they're, if they're young people, then you judge that based on whether or not they were around to see Charles and Diana's wedding. Wedding. Yes. And if you didn't see Charles and Diana's wedding because you were too young, because you, because you weren't born, you're a baby. And if you did see it, you're old like us, right? So. I just looked up the average age of people in the AFLW. The average age is 23.5 years. That would mean people born in September of 1997, which was, in oh. fact, the month of Princess Diana's funeral. Oh. So if you were not born and never had the Princess Diana experience, <laughs> we consider you in the AFLW to be one of the younger players and we definitely consider you to be one of the younger players here. It's our measurement, our unit measurement of time. I'm just um, rethinking my old, my own age right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I looked at what happened over the last round. Cora Staunton, 39 years of age, was best on ground for GWS. Erin BOG, we've already said for Adelaide, took mark of the year, potentially she might win goal kicker of the year. She's 35. Karen Paxman, BOG for the Ds at 32. Turbo, Kiara Bowers, BOG at Frio for 29 years of age. Bree Davy, who we'll catch up with later, 26 years of age, got a perfect 10 in the um, in the scoring of best on ground this, this round as well. Kate Sheilor may have kicked goal of the year, at 32 years of age, Darcy Vessio potentially mark of the year at 27 years of age, and of course Courtney Wakefield was among the best in the Richmond lineup in what was an amazing game against Carlton at the ripe old age of 33. Wow. So I think, you know, in the name of Dame Judy Dench, is old is good. <laughs> Lucy, <laughs> I really love you working at what's old. <laughs> I want to see Dame Judy Dent take the um, field for the AFLW. I want to pick up on something you just mentioned, Kate Shearlaw, there. And I just want to say that I reserve the right to call goal of the year in every game. (laughs) So I was sitting on the couch and watched Chloe Malloy pick up a ground ball under pressure and snap from about 40 metres out and kick what I claimed on Twitter was goal of the year and then just got roundly shouted out by everyone else saying, uh, Roxy Brew said, hello, did you miss me? So just in this round, we saw Roxy's goal, which was this a beautiful banana set shot from the boundary, Chloe's goal and Saints, Kate Shearlaw, her running goal was just a thing of beauty. And it got me thinking about goal kicking and the importance of making hay while the sun shines. So in this round, we had three teams who won with less inside 50s. And I'm probably focusing on this because I'm thinking of Melbourne, who Mm. kicked two goals 12 and really didn't make the most of their opportunities. But Carlton, um, Carlton had less inside 50s, so did the Magpies, and... I think what we're really seeing is how important it is in these short games, in this intense season, it's so important to take your chances. I know. I agree with that. I think at times there's too much handballing. I think that's what Geelong mm. does. Geelong needs to just have a have a ping and have a shot for goal and I think that they might surprise themselves. Shelley, what was your highlight from the round? 
I have to agree. My, when my husband's watching, all he is yelling out is kick it, mm. kick it, <laughs> stop handling the ball, kick it. So, yeah, that, that's something that is fresh in my mind. But it's a little bit of what Lucy's just said. That Chloe Malloy, she was the 2018 Rising Star. She's an outstanding player and it was that first quarter goal. It was absolutely brilliant. That was a one-handed pickup. She found herself some space and then she kicked it out from 35 metres out. Absolutely brilliant. I have to agree. It could potentially be goal of the year. It was wonderful. She ended up with two goals and in their best and she's just continuing to shine. She's now um, – she's kicked goals – in seven consecutive yeah. games, which is the equal longest streak in AFLW. And I'm just loving seeing Chloe. You know these players that have been around for a few seasons, like Izzy Huntington, like Chloe Malloy, I'm absolutely loving seeing them get out there and have great games. Oh, me too. I'm actually loving Collingwood, especially with Alicia Newman added in. It's a very poignant time for us to catch up with one of the co-captains of the Collingwood Football Club. Let's catch up and give Bree Davy a call. We welcome Bree Davy to the Outer Sanctum. How are you, Bree? Good, thanks, guys. How are you guys going? Well, well, we're very happy to hear from you. You must be just flying at the moment. I think I don't want to be rude, but I'm not sure many people were tipping Collingwood as a contender for the flag in 2021. Was it? Is this news to you? Yeah. Well, look, to be honest, um, we we started to build a little foundation last year. I think. Obviously, over the first few years, um, Collingwood probably didn't have the seasons they were hoping for. And then last season, um, obviously, we had a, a new coach come in, Steve, and he's been great um, and sort of brought in a new game plan. And I think from there, we've just sort of slowly grown. And, yeah, I guess we've, we've probably been a bit of a dark horse coming into this season. Um, and you're probably right. I, I don't know if teams necessarily expected us to be, um, I guess, real competitors um, in that sense for the flag flag opportunities, I, I suppose. But, yeah, look, still early days. I mean, it's four rounds in. We're, we're lucky to have gone, you know, four, four from four. But, um, yeah, we've, we've still got to put our foot down and hopefully um, keep um, doing well in the next few rounds because um, they're going to be super important as well. Hi, Bree. It's Lucy here. Um, sometimes, you know, we talk about the things you can see on the field, but the things that you can't see, like the mind games, are, are really important. And I'm wondering if there's something that's going on with connection with your team, because your midfield is firing and there's an incredible connection from defence through the mids and into the forward line. And I'm yep. wondering if that's, is that something that is intangible, but it's clearly there? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, it's funny because when you run out, you can feel even the synergy of the other team as well and you can sort of get a sense of, you know, maybe where their weak spots are and things like that as, as you're running around the field. And I know for us, our synergy feels really strong at the moment and I guess it's something that's um, been building over the last couple of seasons and obviously particularly um, getting used to our game plan. Obviously, like I mentioned, Steve Simon's come in last year and implemented a new sort of game strategy and us getting used to that last year and then obviously building off that again this year and then understanding each other as players and things like that I think um, has really helped us and yeah no you're absolutely right it's it's hard for I guess people on the outside looking into to necessarily see that um, but mm. for us super important and it's just lucky we, we have such a good group of girls and, and we all really love each other so that helps when you run out and play with each other because you know, you feel supported and when you feel supported, you always play your best footy. So, yes, it is, it is a huge thing. 
Bree, it's Kate here. Um, I'm just wondering if you can tell us how the players are dealing with the uncertainty about the season with questions of possible hubs and, and so yep. on. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting season, isn't it? Look, we I think from the start we knew it was going to be like this. Um, obviously, we know what happened with our last season. It obviously came to a bit of an abrupt end, which, which we all understood at the time. But I think going into this season, it's been the same thing, that really anything can happen. And so we've sort of spoken about any you know, being able to play anywhere and being prepared for that. So we've spoken about, I think the, the teams who do that the best will be successful this year. It, it's tough, it is. And, you know, not having a sort of an opponent each week has challenges. But at the same time, I, I people have asked me this and I actually somewhat enjoy it. It's cool to just be able to, you know, go into the week, you find out who you play and you go, cool, yep, this is, <laughs> you, work, you work on what you need to do and then you play them and you're not looking ahead, if that makes sense. Bree, has there been a conversation... I mean, it looks like the Victorian teams are running out of teams to play. Is there a conversation about you going into hubs and how would you feel about that? Like how would you lead your team if if hubs had to happen? Yeah, look, there's there's definitely conversations going on about it and it's something that could possibly happen. It's it's always changing, obviously, with the COVID circumstances, borders opening and closing, all that sort of stuff. So Definitely, it's um, it's been talked about, um, you know, within our team as well and <clears throat> what we're going to do if, if we do get into that situation. But again, I think it's, it's honestly just about banding together and, and making sure we can try and support each other as best we can. Um, obviously, with the girls' situation, it's very different to the men's. We're, we're not all full-time athletes. A lot of girls have work, study, all different sorts of commitments, families, things like that. And um, it, it does throw a spanner in the works and, and it, do, it does mean that some girls might not even be able to go into a hub. So mm. that's the other hard bit. And, and for me, that would be um, the most disheartening thing about it is if we have to leave our team, some of our teammates behind. Bree, it's just Lucy again. Um, yep. You polled a perfect 10 in the Coaches Association Player of the Year voting <laughs> on the weekend. We like to call it doing a Kominichi. And <laughs> I'm just wondering, you know, you've got a few seasons under your belt now. What's the difference? Like, Can you feel that in your body? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, definitely. I think as well, um, for me, obviously, last year, being new to a club, that's, that's tough as well. Just just in terms of finding your feet, understanding your teammates, and, and that, that takes years to build sometimes, and um, where you fit in and how you can play your role. And I think for me anyway, um, obviously coming across to Collingwood and being my second season in, I'm just understanding, you know, the team much better, myself, my role, um, and yet I, I do feel it different in my body. Like I have done a fair bit of work, particularly, I mean, obviously COVID has been horrible for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, it's not been, it's not been obviously always a great experience or anything like that. But for me, it's almost been, I guess, out of all the bad stuff in it for me, there's been a bit of a light in terms of being able to sort of work on my health and my body and mm. had a couple of things going on last year Um during last season with my body, um, I was quite iron deficient and I had like a little a parasite sort of thing in my gut and that was causing me fatigue as well. So I was actually really struggling with a few things um, and my body just was not holding up in the pre-season. So I had quite an injury-prone pre-season as well. So I think going into this season, I'm just feeling much much more fresh. My, I've taken care of the health side of things. My body feels much better and I've been able to run out a whole pre-season, which has probably been the first time um, since the beginning of AFRW, which has been nice. So, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling very different this season, definitely. Well, I'm glad you got rid of your little friend there in your time. I know. 
Goodness me, that would have been horrid. It's yeah. bad enough being iron deficient, you poor thing. I'm glad <laughs> things are on the rise for you. Now, Aisling Sheridan continues to shine. Can you tell us a little bit more about her? She's been awesome. I, I think from the get-go when she's first come to the club, which was last season, you could see she just had it. Um, she just had it and she was just so natural. Obviously comes from a Gaelic background, so sort of similar sports, but obviously differences as well. But yeah, she's just very smart, um, and she's a workhorse. Like she'll she'll work her you know behind off for the mm. team. For me, um, I think yeah, she's one of those players that is probably a little bit underrated by teams. Maybe they're starting to notice now that yeah. you know um, she's probably got a bit more traction. That you know she is a real threat, especially up in the forward line. She's just a great human and a really hard worker, and um, someone that you love to have on your team. And you know, kicking snags as well. So that's mm-hmm. nice to see. <laughs> It's amazing, Brie, because we're seeing, we're hearing so much conversation about these young players and how spectacular the young players are uh, performing this season. But just in your game last week, you polled perfect ten, a Kominichi, at twenty six years of age. Jamie <laughs> Lambert had an amazing game at twenty eight years of age, and Stacey Livingston's thirty three also polled. And then there's of course Katie Ashmore playing um, on the other side, and she's. Yeah. 29 and you know Cora Staunton had a cracker as well and she's mm. about to turn 40 what is there yeah. something happening in in the kind of um coming together of this age the age group that have had to fight really hard have missed pathways have been you know as we know Erin Phillips missed so many years of playing footy and has come yeah. back and you know she polled really well as well got best on ground so yeah. is there a combination of these Pathway kids who've never missed anything and the, and the coming together of this older age group that you are bolstering each other. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because, like you said, there's there's obviously a lot of chat about the youngsters coming through and and they're undeniably very good footballers and quite natural footballers. Um, obviously going through the pathways, but um, yeah, look, I, I think with the ones who have probably been around a bit but um, lacked that pathway option and didn't quite get to, I guess, make use of that. I think it's just about, you know, obviously been playing footy longer, but the ASLW system five seasons now and just getting the footy in hand more. And obviously the, the level of the comp keeps getting better every single year. So if you're not working harder and getting better every single year too, you're sort of going to get left behind. And I think that's the other thing that's really quite, um, again, not underrated, but experience is so important. And I think we forget that as well. I think particularly going into big games, um, often I think teams with experience um, are probably going to be in, in better stead. Um, and, the, and the reason for that is literally because they have experienced this, they've um, you know, experienced those things more and often um, I would say have more of a sort of cool, calm head. Definitely the, the, the older ones are, are sort of stepping up this year and throughout all of the seasons there's been a good mix of experience and, and young talent and I think that's just going to continue to sort of evolve as well. Uh, Brie, it's Kate again here. Just on pathways and the denial of opportunities for women to be involved in footy, I have heard you speak very passionately before about gender equality and what gender equality means to you. And and, um, I've also heard you say that your own views were shaped by experiences you had as a young girl. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so no, I am very passionate about gender equality and um, I, yeah, it's something that I think has always been very close to my heart and it probably stems from when I was quite little. Um, I grew up 
loving, um, I guess, things that weren't for girls, putting that in quotations, which is very different now. But then it was, you know, footy, for example, that which was the one thing I just wanted to play, um, you know, it was a, it was a very male-dominated space. And mm. I remember often there'd be comments, well, why is there a girl playing? Um, why is she wearing that? It's not That's not for her, things like that. And I just, I think from a very young age, you sort of subconsciously squash that down. And I, I even things like, oh, you let the girl beat you or mm. oh, you got beat by a girl. At the time, I even thought that was a compliment. I was like, yep, you got beat by a girl. And then now that I reflect, I'm like, what? That is the most backward thing mm. um, that somebody could say. And I think, again, from those experiences, it's, made, it's put a bit of a fire in my belly to ensure that that doesn't happen to young girls now. And, and, and the space is definitely changing. Those comments still happen. I know definitely still happen. I know that. But it's definitely a space where I think there still needs to be more growth. And that's why um, I do speak quite passionately about it. Because, yeah, I, I, am, I am sick of people being pushed into boxes and mm. being told that they can and can't do things. So, obviously, when it comes to AFLW, Running out for that first game, which which I've spoken about quite fondly before, the Carlton Collingwood Clash, the first ever AFL women's game. I remember when I ran out there, I I knew that I was representing more than myself. I was representing all the women who had missed, all the women who you know years and years and years ago. I don't know. They just sort of been so passionate to play, and they didn't get the opportunity. So yeah, that those things definitely drive me, and it's definitely something I think about a lot. So that's probably where it's come from. Oh, Bree, you've lived a life, haven't you, Ladybird? <laughs> we love having you on the show and we're looking for I cannot even tell you we are so looking forward to seeing Collingwood take on the D's this weekend and then we still have what a oh, Lucy saying <laughs> I thought I got the game wrong because Lucy's saying no we're not looking forward to it because she's a D supporter <laughs> a bit scared Brie um, and then we've still got another treat up our sleeve which is when Collingwood meets St Kilda and we see you playing against your partner Tilly we cannot wait to see that thank you so much for spending some time with us today on the Outer Sanctum legend thanks so much guys I'm Darcy Vessio and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast all right, it's time to roll up your long sleeve jumpers and melee ladies. We are heading into the first ever AFLW Indigenous round, which is so exciting. But I have this funny feeling, just to be controversial off the top, that <laughs> you know how we do welcome and acknowledgements of country and people from other countries, so people from outside of Australia, they always think, oh, that's so amazing how you do that. But I feel like it sometimes feels a bit hollow because I think we do acknowledgements of country and it's a beautiful symbol. But do we carry that through the rest of our lives? You know, I, I just don't, I don't necessarily think that I see that um, translated into policy and opportunity and everyday life. You know that we still, there is still racism rife and rampant in sport, but also in the in the larger world. And so that worries me. And so when I look at Indigenous Round, I think it's fantastic. It's a great opportunity. It's a beautiful symbol. But does it mean more? Can the AFLW do a W to it and make it mean more and get more out of it than I think that the men's competition does? Shelley, I'm looking at you. Because you are. And you are looking <laughs> at me across the desk. What do you think? Of course. We can. We are supposed to be embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture and history into our everyday. You know, like it's ours. It's, it's Australia's history. So we should be embracing it as ours and, and looking at all the beauty within the culture. And, of course, that's what we need to do. So, 
you know, if you head off to New Zealand, you'll see that it is embedded in everything. It's in street signs, it's in the schooling, it's in the way of life. You know, you, you walk around and there are brown people everywhere you go because the treaty was a part of their um, the setup of their whole nation, which we didn't get. And we're fighting for that here in Australia, but also the Uluru Statement of the Heart. So if you're looking to understand those things a bit more, check out what a treaty does for a country and also check out the Uluru Statement of the Heart and get behind it and support it. It's about making it your everyday and we're not we're not there as a country. We're not doing that. And, you know, the AFL could do that a bit more. We could make sure that those things happen, that it's not just this one celebration that we do. One thing that you did this week was you went and spoke to um, one of the teams about Indigenous Round. What were some of the questions or comments or things that the players wanted to talk about? Yeah, they really wanted to know. I went to um, the Carlton AFLW team and spoke to them and they really wanted to know what more they could do so we talked about that we talked about you know reading books getting to know different aboriginal people by going to community events and and you know wearing these fantastic t-shirts that we're going to see all of the players wear the free the flag t-shirt you know clothing the gap call them conversation starters so when you pop that t-shirt on you understand the meaning of it and when someone says hey what does that mean then you have a conversation there's so much you can do they wanted to know does the afl do enough they wanted to know um what I was doing in my life and they wanted to know about Mangrook, the game. They were really invested and it was it was wonderful because you could tell they were they wanted to know more and they wanted to do more as a club. The jumpers this round are absolutely beautiful and, and that's something that we've seen across the men's and now in the women's round. But I think what's really important is to remember that they're also a conversation starter and there's so much beautiful content out there on all of the club websites that really talks about the design and the storytelling aspect of those jumpers. And those stories that you're seeing within the jumpers, that's what we are. Aboriginal people are storytellers and we've got so much to talk about and that's what we've been doing for 60,000 years in this country. So look at the stories. It's about the community, the respect and the connection to family and um, community and culture. So that's what you're seeing in it and that's, that's who we are as people. Uh, something that you did this week is really walking the walk and it demonstrated the difference. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Shell. What have I but done? It, it demonstrated <laughs> the difference between sometimes my knee-jerk reaction and yours and you are a teacher to me in all ways but I've heard of two people this week who said that they didn't want to keep supporting Collingwood because of the fallout of the report and how that was handled and they had said who should we go for who's who's the perfect club and you had the most beautiful response to that would you be comfortable in sharing what that response was you're a dag (laughs) I I basically said that we are all capable of making mistakes and we should be proud of Collingwood for acknowledging their mistakes in the history of their club and also that they're willing to fix them and they're willing to move forward and as a whole community are willing to have a better future. So I think that you should stick with the pies because, you know, it's not many people that acknowledge what's going on, especially around systemic racism. So lean in and do the work. That's right. Yeah. That's why you're Shelley Ware. There really was people saying that they wanted to name Indigenous Route after you. Did you get embarrassed about that? Yes, I did. And that's why we're not going to talk about it. But bless their hearts. (laughs) Well, we do urge people to uh, get invested and read about all of the background. I really liked that of the jumpers specifically this round because it is an entry point. I really liked that Alicia Newman's been included on the Melbourne jumper because she's part of their story, even though she plays for 
Collingwood. Yep. I'm just like, oh, this is so beautiful. Her handprint. And they're playing, and they're each, playing other. each other. I know. But that's a huge part of Aboriginal people is we always pay respects to the people that walk before us. That is, you know, it's part of the welcome to country. It's part of who we are as people. So for I was just so proud of Crystal for doing that. Beautiful. Paying respects to people who've been before us is actually a really interesting topic because we're talking about legacy, I, I suppose. And one thing that we saw this week was um, in soccer, in the round ball game, is that they are looking at what their legacy is going to be. But at the same time, one of the women on the board was pushed out of the board in an unceremonious kind of moment as they were trying to make plans for the 2023 World Cup. Lucy, is this just the weirdest story? It's such a pertinent discussion because today we've seen in the news that Brisbane's been named the preferred host for the 2032 Olympics. And I think any time we have something like a World Cup of soccer or um, big tournaments, any of those big events, we have an opportunity to, to see what the legacy of those events is going to be. And you're right, Emma, Football Australia presented their 2023 legacy plan to the government. So they're looking for funding and their objective is that the benefits of that competition isn't just going to be seen over the weeks where the games are played, but that basically they can measure outcomes across five key areas uh, like participation, community facilities, leadership and development. And you're right that it wasn't a good look to see Heather Reid, one of Australia's top football administrators, booted off the board. But in terms of this discussion, I think it's really good for us to think about, you know, the things that we can do to embed legacy into everything that we do. So to think about outcomes, to think about things that are measurable, to be really intentional and I know there are a lot of people who are involved in community clubs and setting up, you know, new teams. There are a lot of women's teams that are starting up and it's a really good opportunity for clubs and people at grassroots to have those kind of conversations about what do you want the legacy to be? What do you want to leave? It's really interesting that in soccer, only one in five community facilities is actually friendly for women and girls. Mm. And, you know, when you think about it, there are so many barriers to participation. Being intentional is a really interesting one and I th- I think of it as reverse engineering. I think if we we get so embedded in the moment and how to, you know, troubleshoot problems that as they're popping up that I think you do always need those brains to be looking at things of how do we want things to be in the future and how do we work back from that? And you know, I think that if even looking at government this week, you know, we did see Scott Morrison who has previously said, let's keep politics out of sport when he was talking about the cricket. He said, I think cricketers should stick to cricket and less about politics when they were um, talking about Australia Day. And then he wore the netball jersey in the middle of what is, you know, a rape culture crisis moment at Parliament House. I think that, you know, if governments demonstrated and if um, infrastructure and systems in, kind of demonstrated that long lead thinking on how do we want the world to, to be and then and then worked backwards from that in terms of reverse engineering, then you don't get those band-aid moments that that are oopsie moments that are not real and not and they're not sincere. Kate? That's a perfect example because it really does put paid to the to the suggestion that politics is ever separate from sport and and uh, you know I've said on this show before that I think politics and sport are inseparable they're they're deeply intertwined just to come back to Scott Morrison I mean that was uh, I think a very deliberate mobilization of women's sport a highly political move you could say in the in the face of 
the rape culture discussion uh, crisis that's happening in the Australian Parliament at the moment, perhaps something that was leveraged, maybe deliberately, we don't know, but at least it's it possible to perceive it that way as a kind of attempt to show the public that he is supportive of women and of women's sport and of women's lives. But yes, I mean, ultimately, it just brings us back to the discussion we've had before, which is that um, we, you know, there's there's often a kind of deep hypocrisy embedded in discussions about politics and sport, and I think we saw that this week. Coming back to Indigenous Round and talking about, you know, when we talk about an acknowledgement of country, do you know what I would really love to see there is that we've we've taken acknowledgement of country on and people do it sometimes by rote, you know, like I, I don't know how intentional they are when they're doing it, but it is embedded now in our culture. What would be awesome is if we had a call to action at the end so that you leave there going and my and I am now expected to do something about it so that it actually can mobilise people so that we do have some kind of legacy. I think that, Hmm. I mean, that's going to be a hard thing for me to get up and running on my own. So if anyone's in. (laughs) Um, Kate, this week something was released that is, we talk about concussion all the time and welfare of people, football people. The coroner's report was released from um, the death of Danny Frawley this week and you took a look at it. We've all been wondering about uh, the confirmation of any CTE that might have appeared in that coronial document. Was it stated? Was it clear? It's a complicated story, actually, and a complicated um, set of findings. The finding that did attract the most public attention was that that related to CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is the degenerative brain disease that has been found in other AFL footballers and people from other sports, including the NFL in the US. And Frawley was found to have CTE, um, low-stage CTE. There was a little bit of disagreement uh, among experts, but he certainly had it. Um, And so that understandably has reignited debates this week about what we do about CTE um, with footballers. It's uh, seen discussion about things like the adequacy of concussion protocols, uh, whether we do need a compensation scheme to um, to support past players and also whether we need better supports for, for current and former players. And those are all really important discussions and I think it's very positive that we are continuing to have them. Um, But the coroner's report findings are actually really nuanced. Um, She doesn't straightforwardly link Danny Frawley's CTE either to his football uh, or ultimately to his his passing. And that's because the science remains incomplete and it's not possible to rule out other variables or factors in his death. So essentially it is a very complicated situation. What the coroner did recommend, importantly, if we talk about legacy and um, and and the future, um, that she she did recommend that both the AFL and the AFL Players Association encourage players to donate their brains to the Australian Sports Brain Bank, which would assist research efforts into the future. And that's an acknowledgement, I think, of the fact that there is still a long way to go, a lot more we need to know before we can fully understand this condition. What I did want to do is just quickly highlight a couple of matters from the coroner's report that I think flew under the radar and didn't get as much public attention as the CTE finding. The first one is that the Players Association provided a statement to the coroner, and in that there was a couple of really worrying facts. Um, The AFLPA said that they conduct a yearly survey with players and In 2019, their survey found that 6% of players 
had had a concussion that they did not report to medical staff. And about 8% said that they continued to play or train after a concussion without seeking medical attention. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. The other factor that is mentioned in the report in a fair bit of detail is Frawley's time in the media and um, the way that his media profile began to wane in the last year or so of his life. And his wife, Anita, had said that she thought his ego had been bruised by that. He had spoken to his psychiatrist about it and that he felt his star power was dimming with the emergence of new media personalities. And for me, the report very much reads as if Frawley felt cast aside when he was no longer in fashion or required. Um, he developed a bit of a court jester persona, um, according to the coroner. And although I don't want us to speculate too much on this, I just do wonder whether it warrants a bit of reflection on the way that the industry operates and the way people might be churned through the industry and, and sort of left behind. Because for me, the report very much created a perception that it can be a pretty brutal and unkind industry at times. And I think that's important. When we talk about mental health and legacy and future and supports, I think that finding actually warrants just as much reflection as the findings in relation to CTE. I think that we also need to acknowledge that the AFL is a long way down the track in some of these recommendations. And, you know, if we think about the legacy, you know, being making sure that we look after the health and well-being of players. Some of the things that the AFL have done in terms of changing concussion protocol, you know, we've seen that now there's a longer return to play period after you've had concussion. But there are other things that they're doing in terms of using cameras around the grounds to monitor incidents that might not get picked up. Um, and they're also in the AFL's in discussions about um, finding really fast and accurate diagnostic methods that take out that um, subjective player input to to really manage concussions. So I think, you know, sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to see the changes, but I think we are seeing a much um, stronger focus on health and wellbeing. The one other thing that the coroner's report that you might be about to bring up, Kate, was the impact of him being on the Coaches Association, um, being in charge of coaches during the Essendon drug saga and how much that had impacted mm. Danny Frawley's life as well. Did you think that that was a standout? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it raises concerns about the supports given to people in those positions at times of great pressure and, and stress, and I think that was a worry. Um, I just want to make one other super quick point, if I can, um, and that is... Something that troubles me in the aftermath of both the out, um, the release of the coroner's report and actually any media coverage of CTE and AFL is that the media tends, when covering these stories, to play the same footage over and over again of a particular small number of select players who have sustained concussions. I think of Liam Picken and Jordan Lewis in particular. And I just would like the media to reflect on um, the, the possible damage that's caused by uh, playing that footage repeatedly and focusing on those players. Because if I were them or if I were a family member of them, I'd be really anxious about seeing my own injury repeatedly um, repeatedly shown on, on television. I think there is a duty of care to the mental health of those players and their families, especially if it's bound up with this impression that CTE is inevitable, which it's not as far as we know, that it's inevitable and that uh, you know, severe consequences will follow. So I just urge a little bit of caution and sensitivity around the reporting too. 
And if you or anyone else you know needs help, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Thanks for that, Kate. In the lead up to the first AFLW Indigenous round, our own Shelley Ware caught up with Crystal Petrovsky. This week is the AFLW Indigenous round. We have a sneak preview of a few jumpers already and Collingwood have practically worn their Indigenous round jumpers all season, which has warmed my heart. Now, Christelle Petreski from the Melbourne Football Club is here to tell us all about her jumper that she designed for this special round. How are you, Christelle? You well? Hi, hello. I'm doing good, thanks. <laughs> good. Now, you're originally from Halls Creek in WA. Can you tell us a little bit about Halls Creek? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Halls Creek is uh, home sweet home for me. The way I'd describe Halls Creek is pretty much in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, yeah, we're eight hours inland from Broome, so Broome would be our biggest slash closest main town uh, within the Kimberleys. Pretty special place in your heart, though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Can't fault Halls Creek one, but absolutely <laughs> love it. Oh, good. Now, you have designed this week's Indigenous Round Jumper, and it's an absolute ripper. You've got so many stories within it. Can you run us through the stories of what's on the front? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like you said, yeah, there are multiple stories on the jumper that all tie in to, to, yeah, to the design, and obviously I have a lot of thought process in designing the jumper and stories on it. So, at the front, lower part of the jersey, um, we have 11 water holes. So those 11 water holes represent the 11 water holes on Gidget Country, so my country, and the journey of my great-grandfather walking through the 11 water holes and each and every stop he took to show his journey through our country. So that just pays respects to, you know, my family and where I'm from on the, ju- on the jumper. Um, we have two handprints on the front as well. So those two handprints represent myself and Alicia Newman. Alicia Newman is no longer at Melbourne, She's now at Collingwood, but um, it's really important to acknowledge her and pay respects to her on the jumper because she was at Melbourne for the first four years and she was the only other Indigenous girl. And what she's done for the Indigenous space within Melbourne Footy Club and within the AFLW, you know, big credit circles. Now she's paved that pathway for me to just continue on with yeah, what, what she left. And, um, and yeah, so just paying respects to her and for everything she's done within the Indigenous space and within Melbourne Footy Club. Beautiful. Um, I have... The five current Indigenous boys' names on Jumper as well. So we are two different programs, AFLW and AFL program. But we are the one club, um, and that really shows our unity as a club and how strong we are together as one. And, yeah, to, um, the boys, you know, obviously they've played a major role in my journey. Um, and, yeah, it's important to acknowledge them and what they do within the men's, uh, within the men's program as well um, and for the Indigenous space. And then I have footprints on the front going up as well. So the footprints obviously represent, you know, players coming through our program, our program, you know, creating and um, developing players both on and off the field, so making them a better player, a better person. So that just shows the journey going through our footy club and our program, no matter how long you're in the program for, one year to year 10. Like, yeah, that just really shows that journey going through and you leaving the club a better player, a better person. Um, And then on the – so in the – Middle centre of the jersey, up high, we have the Wedgetail Eagle. So the Wedgetail Eagle is the creator of Wondery Country, and it's important to acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional custodians of the land in which we play footy on. So we are based in Melbourne, Wondery Country, and it is important to acknowledge um, the grounds in which we are playing on and, yeah, the people um, 
the people of this land. It's very important. I just thought, yeah, definitely had to add that on there. Um, and then behind that, we have a boomerang. The boomerang represents our team strengths as one, so our team culture and our team togetherness as one. But then in the boomerang, we have a design that represents each and every each and every player, every staff member, everyone a part of the club, all their different, all their own strengths, all coming together and connecting as one and forming our team culture and team connection because we are a very tight knit group and um and yeah, our culture is very strong at the club. So that represents that. And then on the top, we have three circles. So, um, yeah, you know, four, four assets is being proud to belong. And on the jump, I wanted to really acknowledge everyone that should be acknowledged who does the work behind the scenes, um, you know, who, who who's just as important as the players and staff of the club to be acknowledged on the jumper. So the first circle represents the AFLW community, you know, being part of the AFLW community, being proud to belong. Then we have the Melbourne Demons community, so obviously our football club and our community, like our staff and then our playing group. And the final circle represents our families and our support network, so our members, all our families, our friends, um, all the supporters that turn up week in, week out and watch week in, week out. Um, yeah, just just showing the love to them because, you know, they play a major role and they might not get the credit for it much, mm. but, yeah, we really appreciate it and we just want them to know that. On the front behind that, and on the back, there's a design that goes through. And that represents, obviously, people coming from all different walks of life, all coming together and all going on the same journey. Because we are a very diverse club and everyone has all different upbringings, all different backgrounds. And it's important to acknowledge that. And it's, it's important to acknowledge that. And then, obviously, we are all going on the same journey, regardless of who you are, where you come from. Also, on the jump around the three circles, I have 30 symbols. So the 30 symbols represent each and every player on our AFLW list. It is important to acknowledge our non-Indigenous players because they wear the jumper mm. with pride. They accept it and they absolutely love our culture. And um, they do. Credit to well for them for yeah. accepting it. And yes, it's really important to acknowledge them on the jumper. I love how you've um, honoured the men and you've honoured the 30 players and brought them into the jumper as well because they can often be um, not a part of the jumper. They can be part yeah. of the story, but you've really gone for a symbol that honours them. And on the back, you've talked about in your story, the people that have been a part of the club and what that means. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, sorry, I yeah, didn't get to finish there. Um, and then on the back of the jump, I do have footprints going up. So those footprints represent, you know, people that have come through the come through the footy club who was once a Melbourne demon um, and who is no longer or even like retired for that matter. So players that have come through, staff that have come through, to really represent them and acknowledge them for the part they've played in creating what we have now as a footy club. So if, if it wasn't for them, you know, we now, they've, they've paved the pathway for us to continue on and continue that legacy that they've created. Um, so it's a really, really important to acknowledge the past players and the past staff and yeah, the, everyone who's come through before, prior to where we are today, to yeah, pay respects to them and really acknowledge them. You've done a wonderful job. I think that it won't be on the shelves for very long. So congratulations to you for that. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> but also congratulations to you on the thought that you put into this jumper. You've really paid respects to the, the right people of the club and you can see that it means a lot to you that the people from the past are part of the future. So yeah, yeah in honouring everyone. So well done. What does this mean to your family? Actually, they don't know about it at this current stage. Um, wow, so be I wanted, obviously, yeah, I wanted it to be a surprise. Um, they are going to absolutely love it. I will tell you not. We're going to have over 100 kids hopefully running around in the blue Indian Demon jersey back home. Um, 
and I actually can't wait to see their reaction. I hope they're printing a lot because I certainly know what cousins are like when it's time oh, to get yeah, a jumper. Yeah, it's mob running around everywhere with them. Nah, I love it. <laughs> I'm Ali Blackburn and you're listening to the Yadda Sanctum. It is time for us to thank someone for being a friend. Today we're joined by Jazz Grierson and Harriet Cordner. So strap yourselves in. Thank you for being a friend. Hello, Harriet Kate Cordner from the Richmond Football Club. Hello, Jasmine Grace Grierson from the North Melbourne Football Club. Harriet, when and where did we first meet? Jazz, we first met. Uh, playing for the Melbourne Football Club in the first year of the AFLW. You were just a scrawny little 18-year-old. <laughs> Our friendship expanded to being housemates and we've worked together for about three years in our job outside of footy as well. Hold on. So I have a question for you, Jazz. What is your favourite footy memory of us? So I don't think it's on the field because I think you're um, pretty intense on the field. But our <laughs> second year of AFLW... We actually went to Perth for a weekend and I think that really cemented in that we um, were great friends and that super chill. Probably off the field, we have more fun. I agree. We haven't really interacted on the field at all. We're probably yes. two completely different kind of players. So I let you do all your composed kind of stuff on the outside and you just let me tackle and do the stuff on the inside and we kind of just stay out of each other's way. <laughs> exactly. <Spot on. laughs> um, how have I changed or grown since you first met me? Great question. You've grown a lot, actually. Obviously, when I first met you, you were fresh out of school, um, had just been drafted from Melbourne Footy Club, were still living at home, and then sort of following that second year, it was kind of at the end of that AFLW season that we were both still living at home at the time and we were chatting about kind of what we wanted to do that off season. And we started talking about moving into a house together. And I remember one of our first conversations about moving out of home, we were sort of talking about the bond and first month's rent and all that sort of stuff. And I remember you said to me, Oh my gosh, I just, I, I do not feel like I'm ready for this at all. And I was like, Oh, it's fine. We'll be right. You know, we'll figure it out. And in typical jazz fashion, you were like, yeah, she'll be right. Don't worry about it. And then next week, I think we signed a lease. And we were on our way. So. so I definitely feel like you've grown a huge amount off the field. And it's been oh, awesome to see. Thank you. That's very nice of you, Harry. Probably the nicest I'm going to get. Oh, um, so what, <laughs> what is something about my footy game that you admire? You have come such a long way in terms of our first year of AFLW. <laughs> Had you even played a game of football? Nah, that practice match against Carlton was my first ever game yeah, of footy. Yeah, so um, I think... The fact that you had never really kicked the footy in your life um, and to where you are now, it's like I think that just comes down to you, you actually want to learn and you work incredibly hard to reach your goals and everything. So, yeah, that's something I admire about you. Oh, thank you. Getting very nice here. You're the nicest we've <laughs> ever been to each other, I reckon. Okay, moving on from that. <laughs> Stop that. When do we laugh the hardest? together. I don't reckon I could have gotten through um, the three years in a desk job that I've had that we've had together if I didn't have you by my side because it can get pretty boring sometimes. But yeah, I reckon probably when we're laughing about not not being entirely sure what we're doing at work. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't feel those things, <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. 
All right, how have I changed or grown since you've known me? You actually want to learn. Um, it's like I think that set you up to throw yourself all into training and the program and stuff. And I think since you've moved to Richmond, it sounds and looks like you're actually enjoying yourself so much and probably as much as you have. So it's like actually seeing you enjoy your footy. You've come such a long way from a soccer girl that had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Last question from me, and I definitely know the answer to this, so good luck. If we both were invited to the same party, who would arrive first and why? Oh. <laughs> That's a stitch up. Did you make up that question yourself? No, no, no. This is part of the script. <laughs> you would rock up first. Thank you. There's very, very high chance that I'd be late, Oof. which is actually I'm going to go out on a limb and say part of our friendship that I think you've done a very good job to adapt to over the years, but it's definitely something that... I'm going to say maybe grind your gears a little bit because <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever been on time to anything I've ever done with you. It's so, definitely a work in progress. And, it is. Um, I do love you for it, but <laughs> if you could turn up to our coffee later on time, that would be superb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll do my best. It's an RFI for sure. And my final question, if we had to pick what would be our last ever meal together? Half of the problem with this one is that you are gluten-free, so um, I would probably have to adapt to that. We do I love a good um, fag bowl pre-game, so that's a good one. And maybe a glass of red, that would be lovely. Classic AFLW fashion, I think we do love a coffee and brunch. So smashed avo, and for you, a soy latte. Yep. You know my coffee order, yeah, you did well Lucky. there. Very well there. <laughs> well, yeah, I look forward to... Uh, bowl of bag bowl and a glass of bread with you very soon. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Well, <laughs> thank you for the chat, Harriet. No, no worries. Thanks for joining me and thanks for all the kind no. words. We can go no. back to just annoying each other now. All right, ladies, it's time for us to almost get out of here. But final business, I just wanted to say massive kudos to you, Lucy, because you're not crying and rocking in a corner that our Facebook has been. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg has come through and taken us, Becky, and knocked us all out. Um, we're not on. Our Facebook is not live at the moment and the, the community there is massive. So we are doing everything we can. For now, we are on Twitter. We are also on Instagram and we apologise profusely, um, but we are working on it and I guess a trip uh, – footy trip to Silicon Valley is on the cards. <laughs> Lucy, other final business? Other final business. Uh, there was a whole lot of footballers who didn't get to play at all last year. One lot who will be very happy to be back on field this weekend is the second tier competition, the VFLW in Victoria. Other state competitions will be coming up as well. The interesting thing here is that the VFLW season has moved so that it is now aligned with the AFLW season and also the NAB League. So we'll have 16 weeks of football. It starts this weekend. There will be people who are wondering what's happening with Richmond, given that they don't have their VFLW team. They have aligned with Port Melbourne and Port is able to select a maximum of 10 Tigers each week. So good luck to all nice. of those people. 
We want to see people playing their way back into the AFLW side. That's why it's kind of been created. But it is time for us to get out of here. Happy Indigenous round to you all, one and all. And make sure you get out, watch the games if you can, or watch them from home. There's only one thing left to say, my ladies. It is... Go Footy! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.